Things came to a head the day we moved into East Atlanta Village. This neighborhood in Atlanta is a quickly developing area of the city, consisting of a mix of everything from tattoo artists to college students to African-American leaders who have lived in the community for 50 years. It has a community-operated bike shop and eclectic bars featuring the best up-and-coming young musicians and the contrast of brand-new, craftsman-style homes and homes that were hand-painted in the 1950s. It's a wonderful, diverse place to live. My wife and I, as we considered moving into the city of Atlanta, loved the vibe of being in the village. We also liked the idea that we could live close to great places to eat and hang out. We stepped up from a two-bedroom to a three-bedroom home with a great yard for our dog, Max. We knew this was going to be the place we started a family. We believed that this would be the place where our lives would progress in ways that we had not experienced previously. We just didn't expect what would happen next. Some neighborhoods have welcoming committees. Others have the unofficial but genetically friendly neighbor who brings over cookies or a bottle of wine when she notices someone moving into the vacant house on the street. When we moved into our house, it was only a few hours before a man rang the doorbell. This was our neighborhood welcoming committee of one. He had one of those smiles that implied that he had some hard stories to tell. His teeth were a little crooked, yet very white. He wore a Cincinnati Reds hat, sitting cocked to one side. He was about 45 years old and not afraid to talk to anyone. I quickly learned to recognize the particular way he rang the doorbell, much longer than the average person. My new neighbor's name was Clarence. And as I learned that day, he was always looking for work. I also learned that Clarence worked hard. He focused on one project at a time much better than I ever could. He was a proud worker and enjoyed telling us about all the ways he had made our neighborhood a better place, specifically by painting the neighbor's house by himself. You can't miss it. An electric blue house at the corner of my street. That house seems a perfect representation of Clarence, exposed and visible for all to see, because Clarence had no home. Clarence belonged to a sociological category taught about in the issues-focused classes offered at my liberal arts college. Clarence was one of the hundreds and thousands counted and written about in statistical articles I had read in newspapers, magazines, and online numerous times. Discussing ethics and studying statistics may spark an intellectual motivation to do the right thing, but meeting a person who was my literal neighbor took doing the right thing to a new level. It's not that I'd never met a homeless person before. I'd served in soup kitchens, fixed up overnight shelters, the usual right things to do. But this was different. Clarence pushed me over the edge. He was my neighbor. I couldn't get away from him. And I liked him. His constant smirk of a smile got under my skin and into my heart. I enjoyed a complicated friendship with Clarence from the beginning. Our relationship introduced a barrage of new questions from my life. How do I love my neighbor when my neighbor has no front door or even walls? My previous worldview assumed my neighbor would live in the same context as me, in a home. I thought the fabric on our couch or our dinner choices might be different, 
but I never really imagined my neighbor without a refrigerator or a shower. Loving your neighbor is a great virtue in life, but this neighbor brought new complications to mine. With one doorbell ring, all the ways I looked at my day-to-day life changed. Suddenly, I began to see my life through Clarence's eyes. What he saw looking through my front door was abundance. I have not one but two living areas that anyone can actually see from the front door. If I lived in New Orleans, they would refer to my home as a shotgun house, a straight hallway from the front door to the back. I have air conditioning for those hot days in Atlanta. I have a toilet and shower in each of my two bathrooms, and I even have a washer and dryer for my clothes. And speaking of clothes, my wife and I each have our own walk-in closet filled with them. I have a shed, and my shed is full of tools. My shed holds a bike that I can choose to ride if it's a nice day, and a lawnmower with an extra gallon of gas, just in case. I easily have more than enough. Clarence didn't have to say a thing to me. Just having this new relationship in my life changed the way that I looked at the world. My material excess and his material need made for a confusing symbiotic relationship.